how good of a therapist are you really? Well, let me help you answer that today. It's how good you are at working with blocks. And this is going to be one of our favorite episodes here. Block School 101. Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. No, really. How good of a therapist are you? It really is determined by how you can work with people's blocks. And what we're going to we talking about blocks, we're going to make that a little bit clearer today about the who, what, when, where of blocks and therapy. But this is it. It doesn't matter if you're working with couples, families or individuals, how well you work with people's mistrust in the therapy process is going to really determine how good you are as a therapist. So, Ryan, help us understand these blocks in therapy. Yeah, man. Good to be here. Block School 101. We've been looking forward to this episode for some time. You know, the two things jumped to mind for me. One, I wish I'd known this earlier in my career. So many hours. I don't want to say wasted because we're always learning, but I don't know that I captured in grad school and so forth exactly how important this is. And and then kind of, kind of in conjunction with that thought, how much how much of an incredible amount of time and energy we spend studying things and grad school and licensure and licensure exams and all those things are important, but really a lot of how effective you are, comes down to one question. How effective are you at working with blocks? Because that's, that's kind of the determinant. So in EFT, you know, EFT is often called the, a map really a map for distress relationships and individual behavior based on attachment theory. And um, once someone has that map, it takes some time, by the way, what it takes a year or two, sometimes three or four for the map to become in your bones. You know, it, it's, you got the map down. As soon as that happens, the next determinant is how good are you at working with blocks? When you watch someone who's a pro, and they're, they're in a session with someone who's very defended, tons of mistrust coming out. They just have so many moves. They have so much fluency in learning to work with the mistrust that they can just go further faster. And so um, it's not all about the moves. This is a humanistic model. This is about loving people well. But honestly, you can't love people well very long if you, if you don't have some moves for when they block you and they're gonna. So we thought we'd start off today kind of foundationally talking about blocks. We thought we'd start off with the good old detective um, string of questions here. The who, what, when, where, and why of blocks. Who, what, when, where, why. You ready to jump in, James? I'm totally in. All right. So, so who? Let me tell you who the block pertains to, blocking pertains to. First of all, any human. All of us block. No human runs wide open with their attachment longings. All of us hesitate, um, withhold, move back from things, even from good things. So any human that you are working with will eventually block you. And also it's, it's, it happens to a good therapist. Mm -hmm. So if you get blocked a lot 
if you show me a session, like I, I showed, I did a live one time that I showed recently at a training and I was counting because I was playing it for a group and I got blocked 21 times wow. in about a 12 minute segment, you know, and I didn't even, I didn't notice it by the way, in session, I noticed it watching it later, which is another reason to watch your videos. Um, so if you get blocked a lot, it's, it's this unique combination of how distressed their relationship is and how good the therapist is. So what that means is obviously a more distressed relationship is going to block more often, but also a good therapist will, will get blocked more often because they're applying pressure to the right places. The more focused you are in therapy, the more blocked you'll get at least initially. And so maybe the biggest takeaway from today's session, today's episode, I should say, mm -hmm. you say the word session I too like often that. in our world, uh, from today's episode is blocks are a way of telling you that you are on track. It feels the opposite of that when it happens. But block blocks are also all are actually saying you are on the right track. We've said that before in previous episodes, but you can't say it enough because when you go in there with a plan and you're trying to do good work and you're really trying to help this relationship out and you just get blocked over and over and over, it feels bad. Mm -hmm. And yet it's actually telling you you're on track. If you're not getting blocked, you're probably not on the leading edge. All along the leading edge of growth is blocks, are blocks. Mm -hmm. So there's the who, the what of blocks. Okay, so we're defining a block as this, a break in the natural attachment process. Attachment is what's in our body. It's what's in our bones. So the natural attachment process is to reach for others when I'm in distress and to respond to others that I care about when I see they're in distress. The reach is the process of putting out a clear signal to describe my inner world. That, that's usually a vulnerable signal. And to respond with comfort, nurturing, protection, it can look different ways, but an attuned responsiveness. This is the most natural way of being. Remember, we're not teaching people to attach an EFT. We're helping them unlearn how not to attach because it's so natural. So a block is when that is broken. More specifically, a block is mistrust in action. There's something about this other person or something about this process, what I'm being asked to do. When I'm not, I, I'm not sure I can trust it quite yet. That's what a block is. More specifically, when riskiness, when fear takes over or when it becomes stronger than, than the desire to connect, then our protective system and our brain takes over. It surges and becomes stronger than our attachment longings, and that is a block. That's what happens right in front of you when examples, someone tells a joke right at the wrong time. <laughs> someone changes the subject. You ask about someone's sadness and they go up and tell you why they're sad. So, some blocks are very subtle. Some blocks are someone who attacks you or start, I love it. People look at me and go, oh, cycle. I'm sick of hearing about the cycle. If I hear cycle one more time, you know, what they just did was change the subject. That's a nice diversion move because something was about to happen that was really important, as we're going to talk about in a moment. You want mm -hmm. to add to that? Yeah, I remember hearing one example from one of our contributors, George Fowler. He said he was working with a client, getting into his vulnerability, 
and he started asking to go to the bathroom. I actually had a kid do that to me in session. And he and eventually, when he felt safe, he actually confessed it to me. Wow. Yeah. That's why you just got to hand him a bottle right yeah. there. Yeah. And also, I like what you're saying, Ryan. I hope that therapists are catching this. This, for me, it feels comforting what you're talking about. It can feel like a challenge, but it's comforting. What I mean, you're normalizing what blocks are for people. It's just a part of them being human. So now I can drop some of my defenses of fighting a block. They're just being people. But then also saying that um, blocks come up when I'm doing good therapy. I think they can throw a good therapist off. They know that they're putting down a good move, and then a block can help can miss a tune in their own body. Um, and I p got the picture of a runner's block, that runners don't get better that when they don't run through those blocks. So r runners are looking to push through different stages. And I think therapists, we need to be willing to accept those blocks because it's one, it's helping our couple. Their blocks are the places where that where their relationship sucks for them. But then also it's us as therapists learning to run through blocks helps us get better. I like that. I like cause because a runner's block is what you push off of to accelerate. Mm -hmm. That's actually a wonderful metaphor for blocks because that's what we should be thinking about them as. You know, if you're watching your videos and you see that someone blocks at a certain place, you can take it to the bank. Right below that block is exactly what we need to work on. Wow. Now, see, I wasn't even thinking about that block. I was just talking about like when runners get fatigued or but that's one. But I like what you just gave that metaphor Starter, there. Starters block. Yeah, I like the starters block. Seeing a block as an opportunity to really propel your the, the session forward. I Absolutely. like that metaphor as well. And, and I, you know, man, like we say on here all the time, we're not saying this as if we're, we have this down because I want to continue to put this in my brain over and over and over. We need our clients to block us. We need them to block us because if they don't block us and their relationship's still unhealthy, what that's telling you is you, you're lost. I mean, the fact that they're in your office says that they're blocked. So if you're not getting blocked a lot, you're off track. And yet we, we so don't like to be blocked. It's this strange paradox for us, which I guess is our own block. I still love, I, I love that one kid that I got to work with. He even told his parents, he's like, I was prepared for the questions that he would have for me. But his questions went deeper than what I was ready for. In other words, it's like he got past my block. I was ready for it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Very good. And, and even his bladder is very cooperative to him. Exactly. To get you out of trouble, that is a block. All right. All right. So we've got who and what. Now the when. Blocks can happen at any point. A block can happen in your, you know, opening contact with someone on the phone or via email. But I just want to hone in on two sort of category areas of blocks and uh, that is when we're talking about when, because there's stage one kind of blocks mm -hmm. and stage two kinds of blocks. Mm -hmm. And by stage one, what I mean is a couple with a lot of reactivity. So stage one blocks are more of a reactive block, where stage two tends to be more depth blocks. So if you're, if you're really familiar with EFT, you already know what I mean. If not, let me just review. Stage one of therapy of the of the EFT map is when there's lots of escalation. Escalation can look like different things with different people. Sometimes escalation means they're yelling at each other. Sometimes escalation means they're extremely quiet. What we mean is just very reactive. In other words, there's not security and the, there's tons and tons of mistrust coming everywhere. Whether that's quiet or loud. Stage two is after the escalation has happened. We've already, we've already mostly de-escalated the couple or the situation. And now we're looking to go into deeper places 
to access models of self, to look at disown parts of people and to access vulnerable need. So you can, you can kind of see by the implication as I define those two pieces that those blocks are going to be very different. So <clears throat> stage one blocks look more like blame, look more like battling view of other blocks. So constantly turning it back towards the other person as the problem. That's more of a stage one kind of block. Stage two tends to be more of a view of self block. Like I'm good now to tell you that I'm really sad, but you, you might ask me in this sadness, Ryan, how do you feel about you? And I'm not quite ready to show you that. Maybe I'm not even quite ready to show myself that. And therefore, I may block you in that place. Or maybe I can respond to my partner when they tell me about sadness. But, if, but in stage two, if you enter with them into their shame, maybe I'm not quite set up or ready to respond to them in that place. And that's, let me go back a step because... I talked about how um, blocks are a break in the natural attachment function of to reach and to respond. And so blocks can exist on both sides. Mm -hmm. I can block you when you're trying to get me to be more vulnerable. I can also block you when you're trying to get me to respond to my other, either parts of self or the partner in the office. So that's when. Stage one, more of reactive view of other blocks. Stage two more often depth blocks, stuck in view of self. Though there can be some overlap, obviously, there. So where? Where do blocks happen? This is the good news. Blocks happen right before a breakthrough. Block, a block is what comes up right when you're on track and right before that person was about to go to the place they need to go. That's when they happen. Um, you could argue also, you know, in a stage one situation, um, you'll see people that when we are trying to reframe the problem as the cycle, that's hard for them because they've built their whole narrative of their relationship that they are the victim and or that they're married to someone else or in, engaged with someone else in a relationship with someone else who's doing this wrong. And if we could just fix them, you especially see that in a preoccupied, anxious attachment style, that kind of pursuer. But as a rule, blocks happen right before there's a breakthrough. And so if we can keep telling ourselves that, we can keep that, that creates hope, I think. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with it. All right. I guess I'm picturing the, the image that's coming to mind. I feel like I'm on like Indiana Jones and he's digging through a cave and the gold is right on the other side. If he would just swing the, the, the pick hammer one more time, he'd break through and get the gold. Well said. I know when I was studying a trainer years ago with a, a, a few colleagues, we were watching our videos and watching their videos. And slowly the, the divide between what their videos look like and what our videos look like uh, lessened. They, we were doing many of the same things. And one thing we noticed is that at a certain point in the session, they just stayed a little longer. And so we, we used an Arkansas, that's where we're uh, taping this. Um, we use an Arkansas metaphor to say, you know, this person just fishes a little bit longer in that hole. You know, we, we throw four or five lures in and if we don't catch a fish, we roll down the road and that person for some reason identifies, no, this is an important place. 
And they just hang out there longer with a little more reflection, a little more validation, but they don't let the cycle move them. Mm-hmm. Kind of like our previous episode of Focus. And next thing you know, they start catching fish. So that was one of our big takeaways of that. And they identified the right hole to fish in because it was so blocked. That was an indicator to them that actually this is where the fish are, where it often feels the opposite of that in session when you're constantly being blocked. So that's who, what, when, where, the why. I think our our bodies are really sophisticated and really smart. Whether we are created by um, an all-knowing God or a product of 800 bazillion years of evolution, that's a matter of faith. What, what What we do know is that the human body is pretty smart and uh, it's very adaptive. I would say maybe adaptive is the primary word to describe the human body, but that's philosophical. What I do know is the, the body has a very smart and sophisticated memory system that keeps the score and it tells us, hey, this feels dangerous and it tells you in a millisecond way faster are our fear responses than our cognitive abilities. So the why of blocks is something about this feels a little bit dangerous to the body and the body sends up energy. And next thing you know, mistrust has taken over the session. To me, that's why blocks happen. It's a memory system. Maybe one time I tried to be vulnerable, maybe one time in 20 years, I tried to let my partner know that I was sad and I got made fun of or I got dropped, whatever, or I got criticized or coached. And that was enough for me to never do it again. So the why of blocks, the body is saying, this feels familiar. This doesn't feel so safe. So don't do it. It's the body saying, pull back, pull back. You know, if you can imagine, I've never, I never have, uh, have you ever skydived? No. Okay. I thought you would give me some military incredible stories. All right. I haven't either. Maybe I will someday, but I can imagine. I kind of want to. I can imagine as you walk towards the door to jump out of the airplane, your body is sending you all kinds of signals. And that's the same thing as a block. The closer your toes get to that incredible windy feeling and that 5,000 feet below you, your body is saying, don't do this. And that's what our clients are saying all the time. That's the who, what, when, where, and why of Block School 101. And I want to come behind that. And so I, I didn't say this at the beginning. I'm forgiving me on this one, Ryan. But I want to say, like, to really get this episode down, you really need to go back and listen to the previous episodes we've done on this. Particularly what, come, what came up for me now, Ryan, is uh, three points of attunement. When you said you're coming up to the window to jump, well, guess what? If you're really attuned then not only your client will be feeling that, but guess who else should be feeling it? You as the therapist will feel like, oh, no. So from the great EFT, well, I say great, you know, they wouldn't take it, but from the EFT therapists I've seen, Sue, Leanne, you, Ryan, George, Catherine, Reem, it's like all of a sudden y'all will be working and I will feel the tenseness of the moment. And it's almost like y'all settle down. And it's just like you said, that fishing hole. Oh, there's some blocks here. Let's stay here. And let me slow you down and keep you here too. And I'm like, what are you doing, Sue? <laughs> this is a place where in therapy sometimes we can get out of with some psycho ed and some other interventions and things like, because it's like it feels uncomfortable in our own body so we can back out. And that's where EFT can sometimes feel socially uncomfortable. 
That's a great observation and comment. Um, I don't, I'm not sure I'd put myself in the same category mm-hmm. with those people that you mentioned, but we'll pretend for a moment. <laughs> you know, th- that's why we train. That's why we train. Um, I work with tons of military people. Uh, I particularly got involved with, with, with some people and then a bunch of reading on special forces um, with the U.S. military. And a lot of what they're trying to do in, in that kind of training is put themselves in scary situations so many times mm-hmm. that they kind of blow out their limbic system. And, and they actually train themselves, and they'll tell you this. It's, it's kind of a macho thing, so whatever. But I, I, think, I, think, I think why is what's so important is they, they train their bodies to move towards the sound of the gun. Yep. And that's what we're doing in EFT as well, except for instead of the sound of the gun, it's towards vulnerable pain, mm-hmm. knowing that blocks are going to be there. Yep. So the more tense something feels – it is saying, get more curious, yeah. get more focused, don't leave here. That's right. And so I want to encourage you as a practical point, Ryan, we'll close out with some practice, but as, as a therapist for you, be thinking about that. When your body feels that in session, pay attention to it. When your body's telling you to get out of a place, and maybe you can't do it right in session, but when you go watch the tape, you can remember that feeling in your body and get curious so you can get better in those places too. All right, so now we're going to talk about what does it look like when a block comes up? What does it look like to fail with that block or or kind of let that block block you out really of a necessary place to do some good work? Kind of a list of what not to do. There you go, what not to do list. There you go. So one is surprise. What we're trying to even do on this podcast, we're trying to make it really clear about the who, what, when, when, where, and why and the function of these blocks so that way it doesn't catch you by surprise. You'll be like, oh. I really expect it. This is what's supposed to happen in this process. This is a natural process of, of the body and of the attachment system saying this is dangerous. Great. This is a place to work. So surprise is one. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just jump in there with you here. Mm-hmm. Um, credit a couple of people. Um, as always, uh, our regular contributor here, George Fowler, a lot of these are either are his ideas or it were at least passed to us via him, you know, whether it was Sue or whatever. Uh, credit to Catherine Ream here uh, on on one as well. She she does a, a lovely uh, master class on working with trauma, and uh, she says when when she sees someone on her um, schedule, and she's about to go out to the to the waiting room to get them, and, and she knows they have a big trauma history, she sits back in her chair. I I think this is a great thing to do for every session for all of us. She sits back in her chair. And literally like breathes and takes deep breath, deep breaths for a moment Mm. and says to herself, this is going to be challenging and I'm going to have to have a lot of extra grace with this person because she knows she's not just going to get the block from what just happened. She's going to get the blocks from their whole life Mm. and to the, to the points in their life where their life was threatened, which makes the blocks really powerful. I think that's a good thought. The worst thing, the worst thing you can do for a block is let it surprise you. You should enter every one of your sessions knowing the clock is ticking until they're going to block me and that this is good. We need to know that, you know, it's, if I went to the doctor and, and I had a, I've said this before and I had a torn ACL on my knee and the doctor was like, right before the doctor comes to examine me, he was to say, man, I hope Ryan's healthy. I hope he doesn't have any problems in his body. Let's just look at the healthy parts of the body. That'd be crazy. He needs to know where I'm hurt. He needs to have good diagnostic assessment, at least questions, 
to go to the place where I'm hurt. The blocks tell you where the hurt is. So the worst thing you can do about blocks is to let them surprise you. Expect them and see them coming. Exactly. Um, so the next one is really with, with a block is to try and talk your client out of it, right? So it's almost like the block comes up, and instead of like working with that mistrust and validating the mistrust of their body, you instead try and talk them out of like, hey, hey, it's kind of it can sound like this. Hey, what you don't understand here. What I'm really asking for is instead of dealing with the mistrust, you start trying to give them the good reasons for where you're doing what you're doing and not really validating that mistrust that came up. What do you have to say about that one, right? Yeah, Sue, Sue gets mad at me for saying this. Um, I don't think Sue will probably ever listen to this, so it's okay. <laughs> Maybe she will. But uh, I, I, when I train people, I say expect blocks all the time. Let good attachment longing surprise you. Always be looking for the next block. Any question you ask, expect them not to answer. If you ask for sadness, expect them to tell you they're frustrated, which is a much more protected way of describing it. If you ask them to do an enactment, expect them to say no. And especially if you set up an enactment, you need to expect the partner to block or, or bullets is a word that we've that sometimes used in EFT that's become not as popular. I liked it though. It was helpful for me. So a bullet is just a vicious block. If you expect that, then your, your next set of moves, which we're going to talk about in a moment, mm -hmm. flow fairly naturally. If it surprises you, you're in trouble. I'll tell you the most common talk them out of it approach to blocks Good is, one. you know, uh, Nicola, James's partner. Uh -huh. I, I work with her. She, she says she, there's a sadness. She misses you. Uh -huh. And it's beautiful. There's a tear in my eye because I'm so tuned in to my second point of attunement. Wasn't, wasn't that beautiful? <laughs> that was. was and, and, and so what do I do in EFT when it breaks my heart? And we have a clear and coherent, granular description of her inner world. We set up an enactment. And I say, can you turn right now? Can you tell James that it may seem like you're disappointed in him? Or I'm sorry, that you, it may seem like you're upset with him, but you're really sad. Can you tell him about sad? And, and here's my big mistake. I start to hope that James is going to respond well. <laughs> hope or expect it to happen. Instead, let me change that with James is about to block me. That's just part of this. That's good. I know what to do with this. Uh -huh. Right? But James, I, I, so she says, James, I, I miss you, and I'm just really sad when we, when we can't be together. I, I miss us. Uh -huh. And it's so beautiful. And James just goes, this is ridiculous. You don't miss me. All you ever do is complain. And, and so that, so that, what is that's that, right. James? What is what, my block? That's a block. That's, a block. that's right. Yeah. And so here's the most common talk you out of it that I see on videos. I go, James, hang on a minute. Hang on. I don't uh, think you heard her. That's it. I don't think you heard what she was saying. He heard her. <laughs> he heard her. Just that level of vulnerability, he needs help getting to. My body heard it too. That's correct. Because if I take this sadness in, what it could be telling me is I'm a bad person mm -hmm. and I'm about to get blamed or shamed or punished in some way. Or, or even just this is inaccurate. Yep, there you, you know, go. The, That's the, one too. This is, this is giving our therapist an inaccurate picture of this, and so they're not going to be able to help us. That's not the whole story. There, That's there. not the whole story. So – so and immediately, by the way, I want to go to parts work. That's my favorite move for, for, for that kind of block. But what, I, what you don't want to do is try to talk someone out of the block. 
That's right. That, that's still leaving the fishing hole where all the good fish are. And we're and also another block that could happen in that place, Ryan, is you could be talking to Nicole like, and when it seems like you're upset, what it is is there's this sadness here, and she could block you out of that too. I'm not ready to let James see this sadness because he's seen the sadness before and he's gone away and he's dropped me and that hurts too much. So she could block me out there, and I don't know that block could look like she could change the conversation too. Absolutely. Well, no, or or maybe because of her view of self, she could block too by well, you know, really, it's not that bad. I don't want to be so dramatic and everything. Like, uh oh, you got to that place, Ryan, that I've been trying to hide, and I'm scared to let it out because I'm going to be told I'm too much, right? Yeah, and you know, why why would you possibly want to reveal how sad you are and how much you miss yes. your partner? When your partner, it seems, is just happier without you. That feels almost exploitive. Exactly. Right? And so there's such good reasons people have to block us. It's not just being difficult, defiant, resistant, and so forth. Their body's reacting to this for a very good reason. Absolutely. Every time. Every time. Even if it's memories, if it's trauma, if it's their own history, it's still a good reason. That's right. Let's take one step back because I want to get more specific, but I want to go make sure we're foundationally good. Mm -hmm. The biggest what not to do for blocks is to be surprised when they happen and to be disappointed. Okay. If, if blocks disappoint you, first of all, you're going to wear it on your body and your, bo- and your protection is going to come out, which will trigger even more of their protection. So if, so I see lots of people go to externship, they get super excited. Then, you know, and I try to qualify on day four, Hey, <laughs> this takes a little bit of time to, just because this is feeling good right now. You know, your, your next client doesn't necessarily know that they're supposed to act this way. And so, but they go, but you go in there without even meaning to, and you're like, I I understand how attachment works. It's signal response. I'm going to get them vulnerable. We're going to enact this thing and that person's going to respond. And so then, then you get in there and guess what? They can't do it. And and really, really quickly, you, you, your brain goes, "Uh, Oh, you did it wrong. And you're disappointed. And so next thing you know, we're all reeling. So you know how I know that happens? Because I've done it myself many <laughs> times before. And then I've seen it done. So that's why we want to talk about it. So, so being surprised and being disappointed when they happen is the first shift we want to make when it comes to Block School 101. Mm-hmm. And then also we don't want to try, and once again, this kind of goes a little bit with it, but we don't want to teach it in a way or tell, tell them try harder. Mm-hmm. Like almost it's like the block is there, but just do what you're doing even more with more intensity, Mm -hmm. which only serves to really strengthen the negative cycle or the reactivity in the cycle. Yep. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I, if you block me and, and, and I give you, and I give you a nonverbal, you got, you're doing it wrong message and I teach you what you should have done. I've still stopped fishing where the fish are. (laughs) And and so, because psych ed is leaving emotion, let's call it what it is. There's a place for psych ed in EFT. Mm-hmm. Um, there are important places, but it's not in the middle of emotion. And it's not in the middle of an enactment. So if you're doing experiential work, save the psych ed for later. Psych ed is very, very rarely a good response to a block. Yeah, the best psych ed I've seen one time, I think it was Leanne Campbell maybe. She did a one-sentence psych ed on attachment and went right back into the primary emotion of where she was. She kept her focus. That's the perfect use of psych ed. One or two sentences right back to experience. All right. Um, another, another one is to shame them in their block. So the block comes up, 
And it's almost like that, no, 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 what are you doing? You're not doing this right. Isn't this what you wanted all this time? And now here you are, this moment's here, and you're not showing or you're not responding. It's like, in other words, you're you're bad. Mm-hmm. For an, uh, something that their body, once again, t- catch it here, their body is saying this isn't safe. So if you shame them in a place or tell them they're bad for doing something to protect themselves, that sends a, that a funky signal to their body, a contradictory message. I'm trying to protect myself, but you're telling me I'm a bad person for this protection. So now you've really lost your place in a, that attachment dance as a therapist to kind of help them there and being a safe person. Yeah, I mean, the two, the two things that maybe you, d- you want to do the least is to send a message of you're getting it wrong or try harder. And let, let me reiterate, this is hard to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is what separates a, non, a non-effective therapist from an effective therapist and then an effective therapist to a great therapist is how sharp our edges are when we can can work with these blocks. So it's hard not to shame people, actually, because you do have to change them. I remember before I had kids how clear it was that I was never going to shame my kids when I parented until I had kids. (laughs) And then I realized, wow, you actually can't just love them all the time. You actually have to change them. And it's hard to create change without some form of shame. And, you know, if, if they capture a little bit of a shame message from, from this process, I mean, they do have to walk out of the office at some level knowing, oh, the way I normally do this doesn't work. So if it's a, a, a twinge of shame, it's not the end of the world. But if shame is, is their res, res, primary reception of us, what we're actually going to do mm. is to get them more blocked. That's good. The most common, the most common error to the in the world when it comes to blocks is what james let the block win mm-hmm. <laughs> you're doing good work and I, I I'll, I'll be honest i've been there probably maybe at least two weeks ago <laughs> where it's like you you're doing you're going along as a therapist you might be five sessions into the day then all of a sudden you're working you know you're getting in that spot of vulnerability block comes up and you're like i'm done that's it how many minutes we got left in the session? Let's just kind of coast it out safe. I'll give some psychic for 10 minutes or something like that. I'm telling on me here. Um, but letting the block win. So that block, that mistrust comes up and it says back out of here. And then you let the block win when you do back out of that place of vulnerability. Or in a way, in a way to you let the block win when it shifts your focus. Because that block is saying, I don't feel safe here. I don't want to let you in here at this moment, at this time, not yet. And I will try and deviate that tension in some way by shifting the focus. So the block wins there and the cycle takes over. Yeah, it's by, it's by far the, the most common what we shouldn't do response to blocks. Blocks are compelling. Blocks are strong. Mm-hmm. To be able to work with blocks, you've got to have some mental toughness. You've got to be able to fight. You've got to kind of bring forth a little bit of your fighter side. Not fighting against your clients, but fighting against that cycle fighting against more of the same, fighting against too many rounds of, ha- of them having the same conversation they always have at home once again in your office. And without our intervention, without our keeping it focused, that's what's going to happen. So just to let the block win, I've done it many times as well, James. It's like I'm on track, I'm feeling good. Next thing you know, a massive block comes in, blows me off track, and my, my inner thought is, okay, well, it's not going to happen today. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to get anything done. When actually, 
we were about two steps away from something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's why the block happens. So sometimes it's just clarity and patience and being secure that this is okay. And we can, in fact, work effectively with blocks. Yeah, I think of it as like compassionately persistent. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Love it. Love it. All right, so let's, let's move towards what we want to do. There's six points of what not to do. Be surprised. <laughs> be disappointed. Teach on a block or give them try harder or shame messages. Try to talk them out of the block or just to sit back and let the block win. There might be 50 what not to do, but there's six or seven from our list. So what to do at some level is the opposite of those. Let's just review that. Number one, see them coming. They're telling you that you're on track. If you can frame it for yourself enough before you get in there, you won't be disappointed. If you take that full 60 seconds of breath before you go get that couple and tell yourself this is going to be hard, it's supposed to be hard, and that's okay. This is a part of my mission. Then you're more likely to finish the mission. So we don't want to talk them out of it or use shame. Psych ed immediately after a block is very rarely the right response. Mm although it is compelling to do that. And we definitely don't want to have focus taken away, like we've been talking a lot about on previous episodes. So those are some quick answers there. So what to do is uh, really important. And so I want to keep this as simple as possible. To me, if you again, if you want to keep this as concise as we can, because you could go a lot of ways with this, we just want to have a pretty consistent two-part response to blocks. The first part is to give it permission, to honor it. And the second part is, hence our title, push into the leading edge. And so the first part is to look at something James said earlier. Every single block any client ever does, individual, couple, family, doesn't matter. Every block has a very good reason. It makes sense for some reason. People don't just block you for fun. They're not just being difficult. Even if they are just being difficult, they have a good reason. Mm. There's some kind of memory response. Um, there's, or even within that, there's attachment function within blocks. To me, maybe my primary move that I like, and again, there's different ways to do this. There's a million different styles of EFT. One of my pet peeves is when people choose a model or discount a model just because they didn't like a certain style of that. There's a Mm. million ways you can do this. We've gotten a lot of great feedback on this podcast because a lot of people have never, never heard males even talk about EFT Mm -hmm. because so many are are female. So that's, that's an illustration. There's a million ways to do this. Well, you got to do it within yourself. But I think for me, um, my primary response that I like to a block is to honor it and to validate it with attachment function. So, you know, I had a client terminate with me out of stage three after about uh, maybe 10 to 14 months of work off and on. And uh, they were kind of just joking around with me, and they said, you know that you say the phrase, that makes sense, about 30 times a session, right? And I'm like, no, I didn't know I did that, sorry. And they're like, no, it helped. And so we kind of make fun of you at home. Every time something happens, we say to each other, well, that makes sense. And she, we, they said, we're, we were kind of making fun of you, but it actually does help. And I'm like, I know it does. The phrase that makes sense is really, really healing. 
And, and of course is another phrase as well. Those are probably the most two cliche EFT validation responses in the world. But why does that make sense? Make so much sense. And I think the key, let me jump because I've seen this yeah. in the EFT forum on Facebook asking about that. Uh-huh. The key with each one of these moves is you're not just saying them because they're a cliche answer. You're doing it from an attuned place with your client. And so it's not just the words, it's your presence as a therapist as you say the words. For sure. I mean, it's our body language conveys more than the words. So, but an attuned body language with a phrase that does make sense. Mm. What it says to them, first of all, it slows it down. It takes the pressure off, but it also meets an attachment need, which is said, which says, I see you and you're not crazy or you know, insane for that to bother you or to say, Hey, that's a little too quick for me. I'm not quite ready for that. So for a therapist to meaningfully with our body language says that does make sense. You have very good reasons to feel that. That makes sense to me. This is hard. Anybody would struggle with this. Of course. How would you do anything else? Some version of that. Give the block permission a lot of times blocks just come in and need to be acknowledged once or twice. Other blocks need to be parted out like a car. Other blocks are saying, nope, I've got to have more time here. This is a very deep wound or there's complexities to it. This is an attachment injury. Other times it's just a short protest or feedback on the speed of the session. So the first part is to give it permission to honor the good reasons, the attachment function of what's happened to give it permission to reflect a dilemma is the same move to reflect the attachment dilemma is on this first part. And it always, it always goes first, by the way, sometimes order doesn't matter. This is not one of them. Mm. When a block happens, the first order needs to be give it permission, reflection, validation, good old Rogerian interventions. I think a good ratio is three to one. Three forms of validation come back with the push, pushing the leading edge. The two-step is, is, I've heard George Fowler say that. I'm trying to do, I just want to do a quick two-step there. Of course, of course, of course. But then we're going to close the validation and move back towards leading edge. So on the leading edge, what we're talking about when it comes to a block is here's the good reasons you have, and yet I need you to stay with me for two or three minutes so you're asking them to go ahead and take a risk. Obviously, if it's a huge block, if they sort of dismantle in front of you, we're going to handle that a little bit different. But if it's more of an interruption block, then give it permission, honor its function, come back and ask for what you need, which is two minutes of focus here. Other, other leading edges are this. Right, right. It, it makes such a good sense that you get angry. Because if you don't get angry, nothing's going to happen. I mean, it seems like you're the only one fighting for this relationship. You see, those are three validations, and here's the push. And yet this anger communicates a message in the cycle, which is exactly the opposite of what you're trying to say. It says he is not, worth, not even worth being loved. So there's a three-to-one response. Three rounds of validating permission – and then come back and push the leading edge. One question I get a lot with EFT, it's one of the biggest critiques of EFT, is when do you confront someone? 
when do you hold someone accountable? Right. There's other, other therapy models who are like, you have to confront things. What was it? You have to confront things that confront their relationship. Or if someone's being a narcissist, you have to call them on it. What do you think about that, Ryan? I'm like, I'm fine with it, but it's just, there's better ways to do it. Because why? The cycle is confrontation. That's all you need Mm -hmm. to point out how this lands on the other party and how it puts them right back in the same situation of being alone, Mm -hmm. abandoned, or feeling like a failure as it may be. That, That is all the confrontation we need when we do it well. So three rounds of validation I'm, I'm obviously i'm just making that number up it can be two it could be four the key with validation the key with giving permission to the block is you don't want to let it change the subject so if i say of course you're angry how would you not be anger is how you fight for this relationship which is a million dollar phrase for most pursuers by the way if they jump in and say yeah you're right and let me tell you what happened last week and we let them do that, now we've let the block take focus. I can tell you right now where that block's going to take you into both of them being alone. So we don't let that happen. We give it permission once, twice, three times. Then we take control and push the focus back to the leading edge. And sometimes we can say, here's the three good reasons you have. Right now, though, we have an opportunity for something to be different. Can you stay with me? Or... Two or three reasons to, to not risk. And then maybe you come back and push the leading edge by a slice it thinner move. Maybe they can't give you sad and you realize that. So you say, this doesn't feel good, does it? No. What does it feel instead? So if they can't take a big jump, maybe they can take a small one. So that's really the, the biggest takeaway we have. It seems so simple, and yet blocks can be so disoriented, so disorienting, I should say. And we all want that beautiful primary emotion, those attachment longings, those needs. We often don't want to work with blocks, but working with blocks and honoring them and and validating them is how we earn our right to go deeper with people. That's good. Well, y'all, thank you so much. I think this has been an excellent one that you can take and really begin to put into practice. Uh Uh-oh. Ryan, you got something else? <laughs> I do. Just three little wrap-up comments. I know, oh. we're, I know we're late on time here. Let me say this about blocks. Few things reveal self of the therapist more oh. than blocks. If you want to learn about yourself, I mean, big, big stuff like my emotional maturity level, like, um, you know, e- even my status of how I'm feeling that day, few things will tell you that like blocks. If you want to grow, if you're going to do like a therapist retreat weekend, Go find the last 10 times you got blocked really big, and it'll tell you a lot about yourself. It's a growth area. I think I don't want to be too uh, existential here, but I think um, how we handle blocks and the grace that we show is, to me, just a great expression of love Mm -hmm. and grace. Anybody can love someone when they're getting it right, but our willingness to step in and, and come close to people when they're getting it wrong, to me, is a manifestation of a lot of what we're trying to do in EFT mm-hmm. and what should draw us in there. I'll, I'll leave on a practical point. I, I started a clinic uh, with about 50 therapists, give or take, about 10 or 11 years ago. So I've been able to watch a lot of people. And I, I'm kind of been studying burnout like in terms of what makes therapists not want to be therapists anymore. 
And uh, I think we're right on the centerpiece of this. People say things like, you know, I'm just tired of doing this really emotional work, all this intensity. And I'm like, I don't, I don't believe that anymore. Nope. I believe people stop being therapists because they get because the blocks have won too many times. Mm. If you ask That's to true. go into deep emotional pain and someone does it for you and they have a corrective experience with self or other, I don't think you'll ever burn out from that. Mm -hmm. In fact, that creates you stress. What creates de-stress, it's hard for me to say, distress, <laughs> is the blocks win too much. That's right. I can't, and I get stopped, and that is what creates burnout. I agree, Ryan. I, I agree, because if you're a therapist, you're doing that because there's something within your attachment system that wants to go and help people have success in healing. And so when your attachment system feels like, I can't get in there, it just keeps, you keep feeling that disappointment. That takes a toll. That takes a toll. And then not even just that you don't, and I don't want to base it on outcomes because one of the things we see in here is the therapist cannot be responsible for outcomes, but for process. But when these blocks keep blowing up your process, that sucks. <laughs> but when you know that this is a part of the process and you can welcome it, it feels so much nicer to your attachment system and to your body to know it's a part of your process and you have moves around it now. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact is, if there wasn't a Joker, Batman wouldn't be much of a movie. Mm. <laughs> there, there's some there's some interplay between what we're trying to get done with good and, and then the the opponent that we face and blocks are the other side of the game i know this is serious business i don't mean to to make light of that but blocks are just part of the game that you're in and That's the right. more you can recognize that you, you can almost be playful and creative about what you're going to do it stops being so demoralizing Man, that's awesome, y'all. We hope that the image I'm getting, because I saw this, George had a picture on social media. We want you all to be able to wear Blockbuster t-shirts. <laughs> George had a picture standing up under a Blockbuster sign, right? Where would you find one of those at? But anyway, thank you all so much. We really do hope that this helps you not only have a map, but to be able to have more success in therapy because these blocks don't block you and you're able to go and be with your clients and join them in those places and help them have success. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com and you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Rayner Professional Training and on his website, RyanRaynerTraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawkLPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com.